For those of you who are in the London area or around London, I'm going to be talking at Western University, basically giving a little chat on, you know, getting your money together a lot. And, you know, for some folks who listen to the show consistently, it's it's not going to be anything too, too new. But there's a couple a couple of little gems, I think maybe maybe you can get in there. But, yeah, I'm going to be in London Tuesday, 5 p.m. It's a free event. Come through if you have the time. would love to meet some of you guys in person if you are from in London or around London, I'll be at Western University, the UCC McKellar Room, 5 p.m. Come check it out. Yo, what is going on, baby? Nathan Kennedy, the new Money Podcast, episode 121. How y'all doing, man? Thank you so, so much for tuning in. As usual, my friends, ask me any questions y'all got on Instagram as well as if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, I would really, really appreciate if you showed some love, leave it, I mean, critical feedback, whatever. Uh, I really appreciate any sort of uh, comment there. I'm begging you. <laughs> really quick, guys, uh, Neo Financial, you know, I've talked about them a lot before. They're a fantastic partner of mine, and, and I think that they are, you know, one of the best options for the everyday credit card. Their Neo card, you get 4% plus cash back on a variety of different things. Most major grocery, retail, a bunch of different things, man. It's just, it's a really solid card. You get fantastic cash back at, you know, thousands of different places across Canada. Uh, so I couldn't recommend them enough. I really think uh, th- th- that they are awesome. And then they also have a high interest savings account. I believe the interest rate right now is 1.3%. So a fantastic option. As always, guys, check out the link in the bio to get started. But today I have a really, really dope interview with Braden Dennis, who is the host or co-host of one of the biggest investing podcasts in Canada, which is really dope. Uh, the Canadian Investor, a fantastic show, really, really strong content. Uh, we really go deep into investing theory, how to be a, a you know a great investor in his sort of style and some of the stuff that he's doing. He started a company and he's doing a lot of big things. And I think, you know, for people who are a little bit more advanced with investing, I think we go kind of deep here. So it's a little bit of a heady episode, but I really think that everybody should listen into it because he brings a much different perspective. I usually talk about ETFs and index funds and like that's the golden path. And then you can also do individual stocks and mix that in. And so we kind of dive into how you could go about uh, investing in individual stocks and if that's the right choice for you. And I think that's a really great topic that I want to talk about more as I kind of talk about later in the show. So let's just get into it, man. This is a really good interview. Brayden, how's it going, man? Good, man. Nathan, thanks for having me on the show. I've been following what you've been doing for what feels like a couple of years now and uh, making good content. So thanks for having me on. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Really quick, man. Just tell the folks about yourself. I mean, I'm ecstatic to have you on, bro. I think I think we're going to talk about a lot of cool stuff, but really quick, just like simple pitch about yourself. Yeah, sure. So uh, I'm from Canada. I, I, I'm in the Toronto area. I went to school for engineering. My degree was largely chemical engineering. So by background, hardcore math nerd, very simple to put. Uh, what I started to do in university was build some mathematical models around quant models for, for investing. And like, how, how could I actually invest my money? What I thought was a pretty good idea for a long time, and which is still a fantastic idea, is to buy and hold index funds. It's an incredible way to go for like 99% of people. And I still tell people that's like, what should I do? 
buy and hold index funds. It's an incredible way to go. <laughs> If you do want to go the extra mile and you, you do want to analyze companies and look at company fundamentals, and that's the stuff that I started to do, I was looking for the right tools and the right resources to do so, and, and I couldn't find the one that, that I liked, so I just started building it. So I started building it uh, a few years ago, and now we actually just launched our product two weeks ago, but we can, we can talk about that later. But for, for a background on me, I worked most of my, you know, early career in automotive and renewable power as an engineer. And now I'm doing, uh, you know, finance and, and running my own company full time. That's fantastic, man. That's fantastic. So, you know, and it's one thing that we don't go too, too in depth on, but I'm, I'm happy to, to chat a little bit more on, on this show because yeah, the extent of what we kind of talk about is exchange traded funds of different types, you know, index funds. I think, uh, the United States has a more, I guess, sophisticated index fund, available to retail investors versus Canada, where you kind of need to go with ETFs. There are some pockets here and there. What edge do you think going deeper and analyzing companies gives maybe like just a standard retail investor who's working full-time, whatever, wants to like, you know, is willing to put in the work? Like what's what's the upside? To pick individual stocks? Pick individual stocks, exactly. Yeah, you know what? If you have temperament and you have patience, you absolutely can outperform the index like flat out. That doesn't mean it's easy. That doesn't mean it's simple. But if you actually have the temperament to buy and hold what I think are the greatest companies in the world, I believe that over a long period of time, they are going to vastly outperform the the average basket of companies. If we look at the greatest companies on earth right now, you know, it's it's the big tech names. It's it's Google. It's Microsoft. It's it's Visa and Mastercard. They trade at relatively, like relatively reasonable valuation multiples today. I think Google trades mm-hmm. at next year's earnings less than the market multiple for the best company on earth. Yeah, and something that is so entrenched into our lives. I think it'd be crazy to think that Google is not an above average company and mm-hmm. it trades at a below next year earnings average multiple. Mm-hmm. That seems like arbitrage that I'm willing to, 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 to bet on. And, and that, and that's worked for, for people who are patient. That being said, if something happens and there's volatility in the, in the greatest company of all time, it doesn't mean that it got worse, you know, every day. Mm-hmm. The example I like to use is, is Nathan is if if your company you know you're making content you have your own your own company imagine if you had someone come into your office every single day and value your company again and they valued yeah, it yesterday yeah. Yeah. you know they valued your company at a venture capitalist say you go okay I think the new money brand is worth X and then they came in the next day and assigned a new value and it's different by like a couple percent this is yeah. madness this is craziness yeah. and so if you kind of wash some of that stuff out and, and think for the long term, I do think that some of the best companies in the world will outperform the average company in the world. That being said, most people <laughs> suck with right. volatility. Most people suck with volatility and that's okay. It's a very normal human behavioral characteristic and that's okay. And that's why most people should probably own index funds. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, Maybe that kind of answers your question on why I think you know patient, rational buying of great businesses is, in my opinion, going to beat the average company over over a long set of period of time. Interesting, yeah, yeah, and and that's one thing that I think 
that's the kicker, right? It's the human behavior. It's like, yeah, you can outperform the the index if you're not, you know, if if you're completely stoic or whatever, right? Like, there's always yes. that sort of stipulation. But, I, um, you know, I think when you think of your investing career and like things since you started, I mean, you can kind of talk about when you started and how you got into it and et cetera. But um, what are some lessons that you've learned and and keep being stoic through those times? Because it, of course, it's you know it's we've been sort of a bull market for me and you like our age we've kind of just been it's always been winning yeah. other than like a month in 2020 like yeah um you know how how have you been able to like prepare yourself for whenever there is a correction or a pullback or have you had that happen in your specific portfolio where you know you had a specific equity that just you know 30 percent. i mean i got some friends that own zillow they're kind of like you know yeah, like, this that's is a tough crazy. scene right now <laughs> tough scene right now so kind of tell me how that's been with you yeah, so to give you uh, some context, I've been managing my portfolio for my my own money for coming around to about 10 years now. And I have made seven sells in the history of all of that time. Wow. Seven sell trades. I've made hundreds of buy trades cuz I you know, I dollar cost averaging into these positions. So I have exited a position seven times. Now, if you look at that portfolio turnover, that's crazy low, like super, super low. You know, maybe one position turns over every year and a half. That's, you know, you don't see institutional money managers do that. They're, they're moving stuff constantly. And you know what? It's not that those people are irrational or, you know, that these, these mutual fund managers that underperform the market every year. It's just that they are, built into constraints and incentive structures that are setting them up to fail because they have to produce results on a quarterly basis. They have to produce results, you know, even for a monthly basis for the investors in the fund. One month of performance in the stock market does not dictate if you are a good or bad investor. It means nothing. It means absolutely zero. And so when you're set up with these constraints and these, these incentive structures to fail, probably going to fail. Like you're probably not, how many people beat the market? Like, you know, 20% of mutual fund managers beat the market. These are people that work on it full time. And you know what they have on in their office all day? CNBC. (laughs) Fear, terror, scary, stocks moving. Ah, these are just businesses, man. They're just businesses that get valued on a daily basis, which is really just not relevant to the fundamentals of most of them. I mean, what's happening with Zillow is an example of, uh, you know, deterioration and, and short sightedness in what they were what they were trying to do with with eye buying of homes and taking on a little bit too much risk. Mm-hmm. But if Zillow is only five percent of your portfolio and fairly diversified, you could still be beating the market, right? Like it, it, it you know, putting fifty percent of your portfolio into an unproven concept. I mean, that's just a bit reckless. And what I see a lot of new investors do is they, they want to pick stocks. So what do they do? They go online, they Google, what's a good stock to buy? And there's mm. so much junk out there today. It's saying, go buy this unproven junior mining exploration company. <laughs> go buy this EV stock that has nothing more in assets than a PowerPoint presentation. This is real stuff. This is happening right now. And so I think if you kind of have some rationale to it and think about it, 
the, the example I like to use is Nathan is if if you were offered you know the guy across the street Bob he has a he has an awesome business it's a car mechanic shop and you know he has a great customer base pretty decent margins great customer service he'd say you know Nathan I, I'm thinking about selling it do you want to do you want to buy the auto shop and you'd go you know, sure, but I'm going to have to see, you know, what your financials look like. I'm going to see like how much money you're making. I need how much, you know, who your customers are, how much you're making in revenue. That same person that does this due diligence and buying the auto shop will gamble their entire life savings in a junior mining stock they heard about this morning. Yeah. It's craziness. It makes no sense. And so I, I guess when you're asking to your original question, like, what do you think my edge is? I, I think that I have two things. I think I'm fairly rational as a person, and and two is that I have a longer time horizon than the market. The market's right. looking. The market is forward looking, absolutely, but it's not that forward looking. It's looking yeah. out one, two years tops. I'm looking five, ten, twenty. Yeah, that's the edge. Interesting. That's that's incredible. And do you think that that's a like you were saying? That's sort of a rare thing. You know, how, do you know people in your life that you know are in their forties, fifties, who you would say are very similar to you? Who you're like, yeah, for a fact, this guy's outperformed because he doesn't have his boss breathing down his neck because he doesn't have to meet quarterly expectations with you know the the fund or the man, or management or things like that. Because that's definitely one argument that I think is is a very strong argument. Because yeah, you you know, it's the top performing funds are always rotating, and so like it's rare to see unless it's like you know, Warren Buffett or like Peter Lynch when he had his run in the eighties, right? Like, you know, not many funds are like consistently decade over decade, like performing well. So, you know, do you have examples of like people who have performed exceptional over, over decade span? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of guys that have done it really successfully for a long time and they'll have the same kind of characteristics, which is they don't care about short-term performance. And this is the same with, with public CEOs as well. You know, mm-hmm. good public CEOs won't talk about their stock price and earnings calls. That they talk about the fundamentals of the business. Every time I hear them talk about stock prices of their their publicly traded security, that's a red flag for me. And and, th- and then they start doing things that cater to short-term investors, which is not a good way to go. Um, but for guys that have done it, you know, long term, I, I, one of the people that I always look at their 13F is Chuck Aker. I talk about him all the time. He's like the original compounder bro. Like this guy has had <laughs> such low portfolio turnover, high concentration and high quality names. And um, the results have been absolutely astounding. I mean, obviously Buffett and Munger are, are the goats in terms of, of long, successful compounding. And, and for them, it's, it's always been dec- looking decades out, you know? It's, it's never been caring about what the stock market does this year or even next year. It's always been you know, setting themselves up to own the best quality businesses that are highly durable and going to be better in 10 years than, than they are now. And I don't think many companies can actually answer that question. Is Do you think, yeah, some of them might trade at cheap valuation multiples, but are they actually going to be better in 10 years than they are now? That's a really simple, fundamental question to ask yourself about an investment that You'd you'd put yourself out of a lot of stuff immediately, and, mm-hmm. and it's a surprisingly simple tactic that you know can can be pretty pretty powerful. 
so, so for some folks that may not know, like, can you explain like multiples and valuations sure. and things like that, just so they have a, a clear sense of what it is? Yeah, good call. Uh, so when I say a, a multiple or a you know X times their sales, all it means is right now the market cap as a multiple of their sales or of their earnings. So if a company trades at twenty times earnings. The val- the total market capitalization or the total value of the business is 20 times their trailing 12 months of earnings or profits. Profits, earnings, relatively the same thing for, for people on the podcast. So that, and then if you used, okay, it's trading at 10 times sales or, you know, a 10x multiple of their sales, that means that the total business is valued at 10x of their trailing last 12 months of sales for the business. So this helps investors get a really, really quick idea of what the market is valuing it at. So if you look at a company with fairly low margins or like, like look, let's look at an automaker like Toyota. They might trade anywhere from like 0.1 to 0.5 times their sales. Like really, really low, like a a few decimal points times their sales. And then you might look at a super fast growing cloud software as a service business that's growing revenues at, you know, 50 to 80, 80% per year, they might be valued at 50 times their sales. So you can see that discrepancy of like 0.5 times their sales to 50 times sales. And that gives investors a quick idea of, you know, is this a highly valued, fast-growing, liked business? Like, is the market crediting it for for their success? And I, that's why people talk about multiples and price-to-earnings ratios and price-to-sales right. ratios. Right, right, right. So with your sort of approach, are you more like of an, a value investor or maybe a growth investor? Are you sector-specific? Like, what what's your flavor like how do you sort of select a company that you're like yeah i want to get in on this company what's your criteria i wouldn't say i'm particularly a growth investor or a value investor i would say i'm a quality investor or at least growth at a reasonable price investor and the reason for that is i'm trying to own the best businesses in the world like straight up flat out i think that the best businesses in the world can be identified. And it, uh, we, we have a list of what we think are the 50 best businesses in the world that Stratosphere Investing. And the reason that we think that they're so good is they have extreme durability and extreme, you know, uh, they, they're, they're what we call price makers, not price takers. Price makers are businesses that have what we call pricing power. And what that means is they get to decide what their prices are every year. If we look at Apple, an example that everyone knows, yeah, they have input costs into what the iPhone is going to cost, and they'll have an idea of what the margins are going to look like. But they sit in a boardroom, Tim Cook and the the squad at Apple, they sit in a boardroom (laughs) and they decide what the price of the iPhone is going to be. If we compare that to a gold miner or a company with extreme competition, these companies don't get to set their prices. Their prices are dictated on what the market is paying for those those goods or services. 
those aren't the businesses I want to own. I want to own the companies that set their own prices. This is a huge elimination of a good portion of the market. Um, number two, you know, companies that are extremely durable and the fact that they have high switching costs. Let's look at cloud computing for a second. You know, someone that I know quite well, he says, switching your cloud provider while the enterprise is working is like trying to change the airplane engine while it's flying. It's extremely <laughs> difficult. It can be done yeah. very eventually it yeah. could be done, but it's extremely expensive, extremely dangerous for your for your company. Um and so these are the kinds of qualities and, and durability type businesses that I that I want to own. Um if we look at like Moody's or S P Global, they have a duopoly on bond ratings for the whole, you know, anytime a company wants to issue debt, they have to get the bond rated. Like, re- like mm-hmm. the government and the laws require them to get rated. Who's going to rate them? Well, there's only basically two names in town, and it's Moody's and S&P. So they have this like impenetrable network effect and moat that makes them really, really high quality and really durable for the future. Here's the kicker. All these companies are still growing at really, really impressive growth rates. Facebook mm-hmm. just reported a 35% revenue growth rate. For a company that's worth over a trillion dollars. It's so crazy. Isn't this nuts? <laughs> it's so crazy, man. That's the biggest that's the craziest thing about the market is they're the fundamentals of, of some of these top companies are still extraordinary. Like it's 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 extraordinary. It's wild and it, it, we are in a bit of a paradigm shift in that the best companies are only getting better. If we look back mm-hmm. The number one company by market cap on the planet was ExxonMobil. ExxonMobil is a commodity oil co. They do not set prices. They are not, not even close to the biggest company <laughs> in the world anymore. Uh, yeah, they've had some multiple compression because investors don't want to own oil and stuff. But Never in a million years were they ever going to have scale advantages like some of these large technology businesses. There's just mm-hmm. no way that you know the the best businesses today are better than they've ever been. Um, mm-hmm. Not only from a margin perspective, from a growth perspective, from a durability perspective. There is a new shift. Now the best businesses have billions of customers. Right, billions That's, of customers. It's, it's, it's insane. Yeah. It's it's absolutely nuts. So, you know, when you when you talk about long term investing and things like that, what's your sort of? Uh, I mean, just in in these conditions and and just in general, you know, what are your opinions on more conservative investments, bonds? You know, do you think people who are in their forties, fifties, whatever, should be looking to? have higher equity exposure? Should they be looking at alternative investments? You know, there's a lot of, you know, different platforms that are sort of coming up with curating and, mm-hmm. and you know, things like Fundrise and, yep. and, and, and things, of, things along those lines where they, they kind of say it's more of a steady return, less volatility or whatever, but kind of give me your thoughts on everything and from a macroeconomic perspective and rates and things like that. Like where can investors get that more conservative uh, return? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's one that investors of all skill level are battling with right now. And especially the ones who do it professionally, who, you know, might manage money for clients who are in their retirement years, you know, 
can you know they're they're battling this question right now can we really have them 100% in stocks <laughs> and and you know what it's like the answer so you know yeah it's been a bull run for stocks but the answer recently has been yeah it's been a way better way to go i mean there is no real return in fixed income right now in the bond market there's no real Absolutely return nothing, it's yeah. it's you know what 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 was the cpi print for or, CPI is the consumer price index, so it measures inflation. Was six point seven? Yeah, so something 6. like that. Six point one or something. Yeah. Yeah. Right now, yields on bonds are you know sub two percent. It's not. You're not getting a, a real return. So then, you know, where do you where do you go? Will you want to go to assets that can at least be inflation resistant? A mm. lot of those are high quality stocks. Companies that set their own prices, um, and and potentially you know real estate, alternative assets. You know people who have have owned Bitcoin have made an absolute killing. Um, so congrats to those. I, I own a small part of it, but you know it, it's a, it's a really good question. I do think that investors who are in their later years and in retirement need to have less volatility. If they're withdrawing on their funds regularly, they don't want to be withdrawing in a, in a drawdown and they don't want high high levels of volatility. So that's when fixed income like bonds can can come up. However, the 60/40 allocation of bonds and stocks right now is just not going to get a sufficient return for most of the population. Um, and and companies like I'll give you an example. Companies like Brookfield Asset Management have been capitalizing on that because they own renewable energy, um, infrastructure, real estate. Like operationally, they actually own it, but they also raise a bunch of money for pension funds and these large institutions to get fixed income out of those assets. So they mm-hmm. also have you know an, an asset management business that has three hundred and seventy billion of, of fee bearing capital as of their third quarter. So that's an example of a. You know, a listed equity pays you a, a, a dividend yield and is benefiting from the exact problem that investors can't get yield. <laughs> it's like this is yeah. a great, this is a great, great way to play low rates. Um, so those are just a lot of examples. I don't have the perfect answer for you right now, and, and no one, no one does, unfortunately. Of course not. Yeah, and I think yeah, it's just you know some people are exploring with with just going with some like blue chip dividends or mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's getting sort of um, you have to get a little bit creative and it, it's interesting because you know I I I try to help out with my dad and I try to like you know like kind of talk about it. It's something I think about a lot. You know when when you have to kind of have those have have that different horizon in mind, right? That's right. Because for guys like me and you, it's just like. You know, like, let's go, you know, all equity or whatever. Like we've got a long-term horizon. We can ride it out. You know, do you think that that with, with you know, things you mentioned, crypto, like NFTs, di- these different markets that are emerging, uh, because there's such a lack of sort of guaranteed income, fixed income, et cetera, uh, do you think that could fuel a, a sort of bubble of sorts? Or do you think that that's just kind of, you don't think the effect is pronounced enough to cause something like that? Yeah, it's a good question. Investors are going to go where they think that they can get some good returns moving forward. And there's been a lot of flows out of things like bonds, which, by the way, the bond market is still ginormous compared to the equity market. Yeah, compared to the yeah. equity markets, it's huge. 
However, there is going to be a flow of funds for sure from things that investors can't get a real return on, like inflation adjusted. And so they're going to alternative assets and they're going to things that like stocks and, and things like companies that are really high quality. What does happen in this environment as well is extreme speculation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're yeah. seeing that extreme yeah. speculation. You know, we are so far on the fear and greed index. This does not mean, don't hear what I'm not saying, this does not mean that stocks are due for an instant sell off. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, it is impossible to predict. And anyone who has some sort of market crash hypothesis, They've had a market crash hypothesis every single month, and they've been more wrong than right. So if they do get it right, it's because they've been guessing that every single day for their their entire life. But I, I digress. There is definitely going to be some extreme speculation. Rivian, the electric vehicle company, is now worth over $100 billion after their IPO. They're valued more than Citigroup, you know, the, the, the more than $100 billion American bank, they have nothing more than a few PowerPoint slides. Yeah, they're ready to ramp up and potentially do manufacturing. Nathan, is they that don't the Canadian have, one? No, it's a it's a is a U.S. listing. I U.S. Rivian, okay. and they have some backing from Amazon. So the market's like, oh, this is going to be the next Tesla. Yeah, yeah. it is. Tesla is an absolute anomaly. I used to work in auto manufacturing, Nathan. Auto is so difficult. And you know, you know why I told you that Toyota trades for 0.2 times sales is because it's so difficult. The margins are terrible and uh, it's a supply chain nightmare. Now people are recognizing mm-hmm. that with, you know, chip shortage and semiconductors, you know, who's, mm-hmm. who's making this stuff. There <laughs> is an unbelievably complex supply chain in auto. So then you get these like weird things come up. Something's worth over a hundred billion dollars with no manufacturing capabilities it makes frankly no sense to me but you're going to see some more and more speculation and assets go into bubble territory it's not new it's happened a million times all through the history of markets it'll happen more again and then i think that most investors just need to forget about it not worry about it because there's always going to be more there's always mathematically going to be more things that rise to extreme levels outside of your portfolio than inside of your portfolio. Right. You can't mathematically right. own everything, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, so th- that's going to happen yeah. and you can't, you can't FOMO into it. Absolutely not. And so tell me a little bit about a stratosphere and your sort of uh, journey building that man. Yeah, sure. Thanks. So stratosphere is a platform for self-directed do-it-yourself investors. We actually even have some institutions that have been using it because they, they find the data source really clean. So completely for free, the platform is free. You can search up all North American listed stocks, find their financial statements on a 10-year basis. You can find analyst buy-sell ratings and reports. You can find insiders buying or selling stocks. You could search up, you know, you could search up Facebook or Meta, whatever you want to call it, and you can see that Mark Zuckerberg is buying or selling stock. You can see it right on the platform. The data and analytics platform, there's a stock screener. It's all completely for free. Now, we do have paid research as well, which is model portfolios and um, research on uh, 50 of the, the equities that we think are the highest quality on the planet, both in Canada and in the US. That's what Stratosphere is. But the reason I built it 
was because I couldn't find a place to see financial statements and metrics graphed out and see some trends behind it. Like if a company is not growing their top line revenue, I'm not an investor. I want to buy a company that's growing sales at the minimum. And uh, most free sites out there will give you three years of financial statements. Mm-hmm. That's not enough. I, I, I want to see more than that. So you can go all the way back 20 years on Stratosphere. That's originally why we built it. Now it's this business that I never even really thought would happen and kind of like fluked into it. But it, it started out as, as, a, as a passion. That's, that's amazing, man. And do you have any partners or, you know, like how, how's the structure? Yeah. So I have a team of five now. I built the the platform, the earliest levels of the platform, kind of by myself, self-taught, you know, building this stuff for the most part. And then now I have a team of five and and, and some some partners that have come on that mm-hmm. are much more skilled at me than building scalable technology products. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's where it's so helpful to have the team. I'm lucky enough to, to work with like my best childhood friend too. So it's it's really awesome. That's amazing, man. That's amazing. Mm. But yeah, honestly, Brayden, that's all I really got for you today. Mm-hmm. I, I think we got into a lot of deep stuff, man. Really quick, where can actually we didn't even talk about the podcast. Just to kind of talk about your podcast, man. You have one of the top investing podcasts in, and I'm, I'm sure I'll talk about this in the intro in Canada. Uh, one of the top business podcasts, man. Tell me uh, a little bit about that show, and then where they where the folks can find you. Yeah. So late fall of 2019. A guy who had followed me on online and what I was writing on my blog for Stratosphere. His name is Simon Belanger. He's from from Ottawa. He messaged me saying, "Hey, let's do a podcast." I was like, "Sure." So he did like this literally blind date downtown Toronto to see if we we should do a podcast together. We hit it off, and we've been doing a, a weekly episode. Now we have two episodes per week, Monday and Thursday. Simon is an absolute wizard, smart, really, really smart guy. So him and I do a, do a twice a week podcast. It's called the Canadian investor. We talk about news and, and deep dives on specific companies that we care about in Canadian and U S markets. We thought that there was an opportunity to talk specifically about Canadian markets because of the nuances of, you know, registered accounts like RSP and TFSA. So it's been great. Yeah, it's the number one podcast on Apple and Spotify in the uh, investing category in Canada and top five in, uh, in, in business category. So the growth has been another one of those, who would have thunk, you know? But it's, <laughs> it's, it's another one of those things, just like what you're doing now, Nathan, before we start recording is if you're consistent with it and you actually put some time into to, to growing it, it it can you can make it happen, but you got to be consistent. That is absolutely the number one characteristic for success there. Absolutely, man. I couldn't I could not agree more. And you know, if somebody wanted to reach out, where can they find you? Where can they? Uh, where, how can they get out to you? Yeah, the Canadian Investor Podcast is obviously available everywhere. And then if you want to check out Stratosphere, it's completely free to sign up and see all our research on a, on trial. There, you can go to get getstockmarket.com. It's the, the URL is stratosphereinvesting.com, but for podcasts, it's just easy to remember. Getstockmarket.com. That'll redirect you to the site, and you can you can find out more there. Incredible, Braden. Well, thank you so much, man. It was it was so refreshing to talk to you, and I'll have to have you back on soon, man. Absolutely, anytime, man. Thanks for having me, Nathan. Party, party, party. 
So there you have it, my friends. Thank you so, so much for tuning in. Really quick, guys, uh, Neo Financial, you know, I've talked about them a lot before. They're a fantastic partner of mine. And, and I think that they are, you know, one of the best options for the everyday credit card. Their Neo card, you get 4% plus cash back on a variety of different things, most major grocery, retail, a bunch of different things, man. It's just, it's a really solid card. You get fantastic cash back at, you know, thousands of different places across Canada. Uh, so I couldn't recommend them enough. I really think uh, that they are awesome. And then they also have a high interest savings account. I believe the interest rate right now is 1.3%. So a fantastic option. As always, guys, check out the link in the bio to get started. But that is all I have for you guys. Thank you so, so much for tuning in. I appreciate y'all. Boy, I love y'all. But for now, I'm out this mother. Peace.